Hi, everybody. Alan Arnett here with another podcast on the blog on alanarnett.com. It's Sunday, April the 23rd, 2023, and this is a weekend update for the Himalayan and the Everest 2023 season. Well, it's been a uh, it's been a tragic and also in some ways a great week uh, in the Himalayas. Sadly, I'll start off with a tragic note. Uh, Noel Hanna, 56 years old, Irishman, uh, he died at his tent at high camp on Annapurna after summiting. He didn't use supplemental oxygen, uh, and the cause of death is really unknown. But typically in these cases, the cause of death is related to altitude sickness in some ways. Um, the BBC did an interview with his sister, Irene, and she said that he had called in saying that he wasn't feeling well after the summit. Uh, Noah was an incredibly experienced climber and just a wonderful human being. I never knew him personally, but uh, his reputation was just spotless across the climbing community. And it's truly a loss. He and his wife, Lynn, are the only couple, married couple, that have summited Everest from both sides. Um, they have uh, got his body returned back to Ireland, and there's going to be a celebration of life uh, ceremony this week. So my deep, deep, sincere condolences to, uh, to his wife, Lynn, uh, his entire family, and everybody that knew him. It's a true loss for Ireland and for the climbing community at large. Up on the good note this week, there was a, a rescue that was just, um, I mean, as I wrote in the blog earlier this week, if you believe in miracles, this was absolutely a miracle. Um, An Anrung Malu, 34 years old, Indian, uh, he was on his first 8,000 meter mountain, but he, he's a pretty experienced climber. He had done Amadablam and another, a number of peaks in India. So he um, turned around on his summit bid saying that uh, he just didn't feel well and that he was uh, suffering from altitude related um, illnesses. But he returned uh, and started heading back down. And he was with a couple of other people. So he wasn't alone. Um, and he got to a point where uh, the descent is across an ice cliff, about 25 feet high. And uh, presumably, he uh, there are three ropes, and he picked the wrong rope, and there was a short rope. And so he rigged his rappel device, and he was rigging down. Uh, bystanders were yelling at him that he was on the wrong rope because it was a short rope, which ended about halfway down the 25-foot cliff, and he rappelled off the end of the rope. When he did, he then tumbled down the, the ice uh, cliff and fell into a crevasse. Um, the people that were with him tried to call out to him, try to get his attention, but uh, they, they didn't hear anything. I guess he became unconscious when he fell in. So then bad weather hit. And so for a couple of days, there was no way to get back up and search for him. Plus that section had avalanched a couple of weeks earlier. So it really was a treacherous area. Ended up that... Um, that uh, Dawa uh, Sherpa from um, Seven Summits Trek, who he was with, uh, he knew that there were some very experienced climbers over on uh, over on the other side of Annapurna attempting a new route. So um, uh, Dawa called them up, and Adam Balicki and Maurice Hatala, uh, Polish climbers, incredibly talented. Adam had a participated in a rescue over on Nanga Parvet back in 2019. So Dawa knew that they had this technical skills to get up there uh, and uh, see if they could recover his body uh, and see if they could perhaps rescue him. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. And it's just phenomenal. They were able to take a helicopter up, land somewhat near where uh, he was in the crevasse. They were able to rappel down and they unbelievably found him alive. So they were able to rig up a, a Z pulley system, very complicated system using uh, pulleys and extracted him from the crevasse and they flew him back to 
first to Pokhara, then to Nepal. And currently he's now back in India, um, but he's in critical condition after surviving for three days in the crevasse. Now, experts say that uh, potentially what happened was because he was in the crevasse, he was protected from the winds and the wind chill. Uh, also, it was a little bit warmer in a crevasse than it is just out in the open uh, mountainside. So all of that worked in his favor. So I think it's safe to say that uh, more things went right for him than went wrong. And we all wish him just a speedy recovery and just really hats off to um, to uh, Adam and uh, Marisa. <laughs> I'm butchering the names as always. And there were also five Sherpas that were involved. I'm going to say their names. Lopka Nerba Sherpa, uh, Chappelle Sherpa, Dawa Nerbu Sherpa, Lopka Sherpa, and Tashi Sherpa. Tashi also uh, actually went down into the crevasse. So to those seven men, uh, this fantastic work and uh, sincere congratulations. I'm sure the family is just uh, indebted to you forever for uh, saving his life. And hopefully he will recover. Um, so... Moving on, uh, there was another climber, uh, this one, uh, Bajit Kaur, again, sorry about the pronunciation, uh, was climbing um, with Nepal operator Pioneer Adventures, and uh, she summited, and she did a no-O summit on Annapurna, and then she, for some reason, which has not been uh, shared, she was alone on her summit bid and got lost, and so, or on her descent, and she was lost, and um, she went missing. But a helicopter went the next day up and actually found her and did a long line rescue and uh, brought her down. So, you know, a sad story and a, and a good story with Noel uh, and when these other two Indian climbers both being rescued. But it just goes to show you that uh, I always say that altitude is random, that sometimes you can do fine. Other times it just hits you. I know like on K2, for example, I got pulmonary edema and I'd never, ever experienced that before. So you just never know when altitude is going to hit you. So that's why it's so important to climb with other people, be with someone who understands high altitude medicine. And uh, it do, if you do get in trouble, that you've got the uh, ability to call for a rescue or have people help you uh, descend. Because the only way to address altitude sickness is to descend as quickly as you possibly can. Over on uh, Dalagiri, uh, there's 30 foreigners trying to climb that. Most of them are with Seven Summits Trek. Uh, another um, potential tragedy here, a porter, Amrit Wright, is missing after an avalanche struck him and his friends as they were leaving base camp after ferrying gear up there. The search is currently underway for him, uh, so he's missing at this point. Also over on Dalagiri is our good friend Carlos Soria, 84 years old. <laughs> he's attempting Dalagiri for the 14th time. Uh, he only has Dalagiri and Shishpangma left to accomplish all 14 of the 8,000 meter mountains. So good on you, Carlos. You know, we're all pulling for you, buddy. Hope you uh, hope you make it this time. One more on the 8,000 meter mountains over on uh, Makalu that uh, Camp 2 has been um, has been established there. So on Everest, uh, first off, let's start off with the numbers. There have been now a record 454 permits issued, 454, uh, and 18% of those are female climbers. Uh, there are 80 issued for Lhotse. Uh, so uh, the previous record uh, for, uh, for Everest on the Nepal side was 408 in 2021. So this has now been shattered with the 454 this year. 
The top three countries, as expected, are China with 96 uh, permit holders, the U.S. at 87, and India at 40. All in all, for Nepal, they've issued over 1,000 permits for all of their mountains to foreigners this year. So I think it's safe to say that the tourism industry has recovered from the pandemic years. So that's what happened last week. Looking forward, uh, this next week, most teams will uh, arrive at, uh, at Everest Base Camp. Uh, some of them are already there, and in fact, they're already up um, at uh, Camp 2 on their uh, first initial rotations. Uh, so, and, and the ropes, the fixed ropes are now up to the South Pole. So that's really great news, and I expect the ropes to hit the summit late uh, this upcoming week. And so that'll be the first summits of the, of the year by the rope-fixing team. Normally, there's not any clients or members that uh, are, that accompany the rope fixing team. They prefer to do it on their own. And also, I don't think anybody is really acclimatized at this point to follow the rope team up. Uh, if you're curious about Kamirita Sherpa, Kamirita, of course, is the record holder with 26 summits on Everest. Um, he is, has a very high-profile guide uh, client, uh, Tony Sheena. He's a chief executive officer at the Multi-Operational Security Agency Intelligence Company. How's that for a long man? There should be an acronym for that. Anyway, so um, he so he'll probably get his twenty seventh and set the record for the most num most number of summits uh, on uh, on Everest. Uh, don't let's not forget about Kristen Harla, Norwegian. She's up on Shishapangma along with uh, two other climbers, uh, uh, Veridina Alvarez and uh, uh, French so French Swiss climber uh, Sophie Laved, and uh, they are supported by six climbers. And of course, Kristen's going for trying to get all fourteen of the eight thousand meter mountains in six months. Last year, she got twelve, but couldn't get into China for the last two Shish and Choi. Now she's up at Shish, and then she's going to go to Choi, and then come back into Nepal and uh, try to grab all of those and head over to Pakistan and try to knock those off. So, um, you know, once again, here we go, uh, trying to, you know, set records and things like that. Um, so um, <laughs> here's something that came across my, uh, my email, which I think is kind of, kind of fun. So, you know, a lot of people try to go get all 14 of the 8,000 meter mountains, like Kristen just talked about her. Well, two people from, uh, Australia and then Australia and New Zealand, uh, Trevor Builder and Emma Huffman, uh, they decided they didn't want to climb the 8,000 meter mountains. Instead, they wanted to trek to the base camp of all 14. They did the first one ever space camp back in uh, 2013. And so this year they wrapped up uh, completing their project. So they went to all 14 of the 8,000 meter base camps trekking there. So that it took them 10 years. That's quite an adventure. So that's kind of in the, uh, hey, this is pretty fun uh, department. Well, so people are up at uh, up on Everest right now. They're up at the uh, Camp 1 and Camp 2. There's, I don't know, who, who knows how many people are actually up there right now. Uh, there's not a lot of reporting coming in from, uh, from the whole uh, Everest environment for some unknown reason. Uh, they got hit with a lot of snow this past week, so that may have slowed people down. But this is the time when they make their first true steps into the icefall. And I want to talk a little bit about what that experience is like going into the icefall for the first time. Normally what happens is that uh, you're at dinner the night before in the dining tent and everybody's, you know, chatting around and just mucking it up. And then um, the guide or the SIDAR comes in and says, okay, team, tomorrow we're going to be, we're going to go into the icefall for the first time and a hush falls over the group. You know, you may have read about the ice fall. You've watched 
tons of YouTube videos. You've seen uh, people go through, you've heard about how dangerous the ice fall is and how some, um, some guys just simply won't guide on the south side for fear of the uh, um, dangers in the ice fall. And of course, back in 2014, uh, over 15 Sherpas died when there was an avalanche or an ice serac release off the west shoulder of Everest. So the, the dangers are real. But now it's your time to go into it. And you're going to have to go through the ice fall at least twice, even if you're on one of these rapid um, rotations, rapid climbs, doing it in three weeks, like what Lucas Frutenbach does. Uh, you still have to go through the ice fall at least twice, once up and once down. Most clients, most members will go through it probably four, maybe, maybe six times. And the Sherpas, of course, ferrying gear up and down, they may go through it 10, 15 times or 16 times, should be a round number, right? <laughs> so anyway, so you hear about this over dinner and you go back to your tent and you kind of go, oh my gosh, all right, tomorrow's the day. So, you know, you lay out your clothes on the tent floor for the next day and crawl to your sleeping bag and you know, you lay there and just all of a sudden your mind is just working about, you know, oh my gosh, is this going to be too dangerous? Am I going to be able to cross the ladders? Um, you know, how's the weather going to be? Well, you don't get a lot of sleep that night. And finally, your, your little alarm goes off on your, on your um, altitude watch, and, but you're already awake. So you sit up and uh, your head hits the top of the tent and all the condensation from your breathing. Now you get a little rain shower. So you go, okay, well, I got my morning shower now. So you pull on your clothes and then you pull on your 8,000 meter boots and you stumble out of the tent. And then when stumble, I mean that you've got your headlamp on and you kind of just fall out of your tent. And lo and behold, you trip over a rope or something out there and you think to yourself, okay, great. So here I am going to go into the ice fall for the first time. I can't even get out of my tent. But you make your way over to the dining tent and um, you, know, you go in there and uh, the cooks have already been up. This is around three o'clock in the morning, maybe even two o'clock in the morning. So pitch black outside, uh, it's cold, you know, maybe a little bit of a breeze blowing. And as you enter the dining tent, you glance up at the ice fall where you're going to go that day. And you see this stream of headlamps up there, this slow, steady line of headlamps. And you realize those are Sherpas that have already gone up there and they're heading up, probably carrying uh, food, fuel, oxygen, tents to establish the higher camps, camp one, camp two, three, and four. But you're going to go into the tent and the cooks have already made probably a, a simple uh, piece of toast, a boiled egg. And you, you look at that and you spread some jam onto the, onto the toast, but you, know, you just can't eat. You're just too, too worked up, too anxious, too nervous. So you're sitting there with your teammates. No one's really saying anything. Everybody's sitting there with their helmets on and their, their headlamps on, and you forget to turn your headlamp off. So you're all sitting there kind of <laughs> a little bit looking like dummies sitting around with your headlamps on in a, in a, a brightly lit tent. Well, you're in there and all of a sudden you hear somebody come up and they call out your name. Oh, Alan, let's go, let's go. It's, one, it's your personal Sherpa. You walk out and uh, your personal Sherpa kind of looks at you, gives you the once over, looks at your, your boots, looks at your harness to make sure you're double backed. So you've got everything all rigged and you're ready to go. Next thing you do, though, is really important, especially to the Sherpas, that you go over to the puja altar and there's a juniper bough, which is, which is uh, um, kind of burning. And this sweet scent comes up and there's a big waft of smoke. And the Sherpa walks over and just uh, opens up his hand and sw swings the smoke towards him three times. And then he silently lowers his head 
probably saying a prayer to Sagamatha for the uh, mountain gods and saying, you know, asking for safety for everybody on the mountain, not only himself and you, but for everybody, because it is a community once you get to Everest. No more competition. It's now all about cooperation. Well, you see the Sherpa do that, and you do the same thing. You walk over to the altar, and you also utter a little prayer for everybody's safety. So it's pretty soon you start heading out of your, your base camp and you meander your way through all of Everest Base Camp. You know, that thing is about half a mile long uh, from top end to bottom end of base camp. And depending upon where your team is, you could be at the you could be really close to the uh, Kumbu Icefall or you could be really far away. So it's anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes to walk just to get at the base of the icefall. And that's called Crampon Point. Well, you get to Crampon Point. It's a pretty flat area. You take your pack off, and this is where you're going to put on. Yep, wait for it. Your crampons. You're going to put your crampons on a crampon point. So you you lean over on one knee and put one pair on or one uh, crampon on a boot. Then you do the other the other boot. And you make sure that the uh, the actual the buckle is on the outside of the boot. That's the way you know you've got them on proper and you've got the right one on the right foot. So your Sherpa kind of looks at it, gives you a little inspection, but then he takes off. Well, you do everything you can to keep up with him. So he's like moving like crazy right now. And you're going up and down some really small hills until you hit the very beginning of the fixed rope. Now, this fixed rope is going to be your friend all the way from Crampon Point to the summit. So you clip your Jumar and your safety carabiner uh, on in front of your Jumar onto the fixed rope. And now you start holding onto the fixed rope because it's kind of loose there at the end. It's not really attached to too much. And so now you and your Sherpa, let, let's call our Sherpa Dawa. So you and Dawa are moving along and, uh, and Dawa is just burning up the track. I mean, he, he's going and you're just doing everything you can to keep up. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, if I'm breathing right now and I'm already starting to sweat and I'm just at the base of the fixed rope, how in the world am I going to do this when I get to 26,000, 28,000 feet? Oh, well, welcome to Mount Everest and welcome to the icefall. So you take a few more steps, you keep going. Dawa kind of looks over his shoulder, gives you what I call the Bigfoot look. You know, just kind of glances at you, make sure that you hadn't fallen over and you're huffing and puffing back there. Headlamps are bobbing all over the place and you're struggling to keep up. Well, eventually Dawa kind of recognizes he's maybe got, got the afterburners on a little bit too high. So he slows down, you catch up, and now the two of you are moving pretty much together uh, as a unified team. Well, you're moving on up and you, you, know, you get keep going and you're going over what are some probably some 10, 15, even 20 foot little little hills at the base of the icefall. In some years, you may actually have to scale a, a 20, 30 foot ice cliff at the at the very base. It all depends upon where the icefall doctors put in the route because every year they do it slightly different. In general, it's the same overall area but of course the icefall is a moving glacier 2,000 feet long from 17,500 to 19,500 feet and remember this monster is moving it's moving three feet a day a meter a day that's on average but it doesn't move like a river it moves in spurts so that's the reason that you that speed is your friend moving through the icefall so you and Dawa are making your way through it and you're going up and getting higher and higher you're breathing heavier and heavier because uh, now you're at maybe 17,800, 900, maybe even 18,000 feet as you keep going higher in the icefall. It's going to take you on your first trip through the icefall from base camp to camp one, probably 
six hours, some people maybe eight hours. If you're really fit and really just, you know, somebody in the 90th percentile of your VO2 max in the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe you'll do it in four hours. Sherpas will do it in three hours. So it's all you can do to keep up. But this time is not to worry about time. This is all about worrying about just keeping your, keeping your, your sanity and moving along at a steady, measurable pace. Well, you keep going, then all of a sudden you see Dawa come to a halt and he's standing in front of a crevasse and he's standing in front of the ladder. It's the first ladder in the icefall. Okay, so this is the time that you have wondered about. You've seen the videos. Maybe even you got the ladder in your backyard back home and practiced wearing your 8,000 meter boots and your crampons and probably a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. Well, now you're you're in you're in your uh, best climbing clothes, not your down suit this time. You're still, but you're still wearing multiple layers. You've got probably got a down jacket on because now it's probably around four o'clock, maybe five o'clock in the morning, and uh, it's still dark. The sun hadn't come up because the sun comes up over Lhotse, and so it won't hit this icefall until well, probably seven or eight o'clock, maybe even later in the morning, depending upon uh, where, where you are in April and May. But you see the ladder and you know what you got to do. Well, you watch Dawa. Dawa takes his safety, his carabiner, takes his Jumar off and clips it back onto his harness. He takes one safety carabiner and clips it onto the left fixed line that goes on the left-hand side of the ladder and takes another carabiner, hooks it onto the rope on the right-hand side of the ladder. So now he's clipped in and two points of contact. And then you see him just take a step and he steps onto the first run steps onto the second run. He can't be bothered taking them each run one at a time. Now he's taking two at a time. And pretty soon he's across the entire ladder and he's standing on the other side looking at you. Well, one of the things that people do is to, as a courtesy and also to make it easier for the next person is they will hold those safety lines tight. So he grabs both of them with his hands and he leans back. So now you've got rails, if you will, uh, like metal rails, but they're really ropes. And so you walk up, you do the same thing. You clip both safety carabiners onto the left rope and the right rope, and then you look down, but you don't, your headlamp shines up, lights up the, uh, the ladder, but you try to look down below to see where the bottom of the crevasse is. Eh, you can't see it. Probably better off not seeing it. Ignorance is bliss in this case. So you, don't, you step onto the first rung with your right foot. Now, the big question is, is do you put, do you put your, uh, your foot on the middle of, the, of your foot onto the rung, or do you do toe on one rung and heel on the other rung? A lot of it depends upon how long your foot is. If you've got a short foot, you don't have a choice. You've got to step in the middle. If you've got a long foot, then you can maybe straddle one and the other. Either way, you step onto the first one, and then you kind of wiggle that foot a little bit, Got to breathe. Don't forget. And now you take the next step. And now pretty soon you're in the middle of the ladder. Luckily, this is only one ladder length. It's not one that has two or three or four metal ladders all tied to each other. You'll get to that later on, probably in the Western Tomb. But this time it's just one ladder, probably 10 feet across. So you slowly make your way across one rung at a time. You can't do what Dawa did, at least not on your first time stepping on the ladder in the dark. 
So you take each step along the way, your eyeballs are fixed down to on your feet, making sure your placement is good and slowly but surely you make it across. When you get to the other side, Dawa looks at you and gives you a little grin. You look at him, you give him a big smile because you just crossed your first ladder in the ice fall. Many more to come. Climb on. This is Alan. And remember, memories are everything.